You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Comedy podcast looking back at This Week in History. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. You can find us and or message us over on Facebook and Instagram using TWWWBLY. Back to Twibley, or this week was way better last year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, crunch all you want, he'll make more. It's Jeff McLarge, huge. Hey, hey, yes. Hey, everybody. I am the uh, the frosted mini wheats of people. I think that's the. That was from Doritos. That was Jay Leno's pitch. Whenever you. Oh gosh. Crunch all you want, we'll make more. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it's a, it, it does still strike me as something that you would say for, about breakfast cereal too. But yes, I, I remember it now. I remember it clearly. 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 What's going on? How are you? I'm all right. I got to spend some time last week down in a city that I haven't been to in a long time. I was down in Providence, Rhode Island, and I went to, like, I had a really good time. Went down to hang out with my one of my younger brothers on the rare Saturday that he's not working. Sure. And we went and visited, like, I think five or six record stores. Oh, wow. So, So, yeah, it was a record store hunt. It was really fun. Oh, I've uh, spent so much time in Providence, like in the '90s. That I mean, Providence in the '90s had like a really good like club scene going on. We drove by a couple of the places that I used to go to, and used to go to like uh, Club Babyhead and uh, yeah. another place called the Living Room. All right, Babyhead's been gone a long, long time. Mm-hmm. They went after Babyhead. They were like Club Hell. Yeah, and then I don't. That's when I kind of like stopped going to Providence for right. nightlife. So I don't even know what happened to Club Hell after Club Hell, I should say. What is it now? Now it is a called a free-to-play video arcade. You pay like five bucks at the door, and then all the games in there are free. I don't know if they have a liquor license or not. I didn't go in. I imagine by. they would because the liquor license probably comes with the building. So it was. It's neat though. Uh, it was neat to be down there and see see what it was like. Uh, yeah, if if it works anything like Massachusetts, I mean. Rhode Island used to be run by the mob. It probably still is, but like on paper, not not as much anymore, I guess. Right, right, right. But oh, a retro right. arcade—that's cool. There's another one. Yeah. On the, there's another one on the other side of Providence. Um, where where do they have shows now? Uh, Club Fat, you know that place, right? Yeah, Club yeah. Feet, so Club that's Fet. actually the last time I was down in Providence before this weekend was to see Perubu at that club. Oh, the fat me club. and twenty other people. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, they, yeah. There's an arcade next door. We actually have one of those right down, right downtown New Bedford. I guess that's like oh, the really? yeah, it's like the new hipster thing. Yeah, that that phrase kept coming up yesterday, and I'm not sure what it means, but what phrase? Hipster. And oh. I was told like, oh, there'll be hipsters at this one. I'm like, I don't know what that means. People uh, who like records are hipsters. Is that what's is that no, what we're talking about? So no, no, no. Boy, you're such a dad. Uh, hipsters are just people that follow the latest trends. That's all. Oh. Oh, all right. Well, it was it was really fun, and and um, I always remember Providence being a lot more gritty than it was yesterday. Uh huh. It's it's really pretty and oh, wow. really nice, and there's a gigantic footprint of art scene in that city. It's awesome. So yeah, I, I haven't been down blast. there. I haven't been down there in a long time. I mean, like in the nineties, like like the hipster place to hang out, the cool place to hang out. Uh, and also, let me go back and say, hipsters are the ones that they say. 
They're not following the latest trends. They're just kind of like ahead of that curve, I guess you could say. Okay. It's like, yeah, we're not following the latest trends, yet we all have the same exact mustache. Mm. You know, that sort of <laughs> thing. So at any rate, um, yeah, we all used to go down to Thayer Street, which was right down the street from Brown University. And yep. what was cool about that was a lot of, like, stores and stuff, but it, there wasn't really a lot of commercialism down there. But now right. there is. Now there's a yeah. lot more chains and stuff. I think there's like a Forever 21 down there or whatever. There's a lot of stuff that's down there like that. But there's still a really vibrant restaurant and like goofy, weird stuff stores. And, you know, they were like, at one point, there were like two or three record stores on the same four blocks, which right. I find amazing. Right. In, um, your, in your ear was one of them. I remember that one. Yeah, it's actually West where I went first. And I went there. That's where I bought two. I bought two records there. Oh, wow. They're still there. Yeah, right? uh, they have two locations now. So okay. I went to that. I bought them at the second location. So, but it was really fun. Again, like I said, I haven't been there in such a long time. I want to go down and and like go see H.P. Lovecraft's house and do some other stuff in the city and and spend a weekend there, sort of be bopping around and not just go for a sort of a four hour afternoon quick hit. But uh, moving on, we're gonna get on to the show proper. But once again, before we get to show said proper. I have my award-winning and always very well-received trivia question. Oh, good. All right. So if you were going to paint a wall with, like, all the colors from, you know, the, the original uh, Crayola box, you know? Okay. So, you, so you got your, your red, you know, just plain regular shades of colors. So you got your red, yellow, blue, green, orange, brown, purple, and black. Out of those eight colors, if you're going to paint the wall with those eight colors, right. which color would dry first? Okay, so I'm using paint to paint a wall, yep. but it's based on one of those colors. Yeah. Just basic, Does it yeah, have, basic Does it matter colors. if it's latex paint or acrylic paint? Nope. It doesn't matter. Okay. Uh, I don't know. Let's let's talk about this at the end of the show, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll think my way through Roy G. Biv. All right, so this is the week beginning... August the 30th, and my extensive record-keeping shows me that it is my turn to start. No, wait, it's your turn to start. Uh, August 30th, 1901. English engineer Hubert Cecil Booth patents the powered vacuum cleaner. That sucks. And creates the... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I made a funny, I made a funny. Okay, good. Yes, and creates the worst birthday-slash-anniversary gift a person can give their significant other. Short of an ironing board. <laughs> but yes, the powered vacuum cleaner, which goes on to revolutionize how people are able to keep and maintain their living spaces. <laughs> well, I mean, what were the original ones? Like with like a hand crank or something? No. it's Okay, so that's funny you asked that question. Yeah. But in, in houses before 1901, especially Victorian houses, this is the end of the Victorian era, the beginning of the Edwardian era, right? Yeah. How people kept carpets clean, because they didn't have shag rug or anything, was they had to either sweep them continuously every day and try and pull dirt out that way or take them out and bang on them to get dirt out. Or if they were huge carpets, like in big manor type houses, as I understand it, what would be used would be like leftover tea leaves would be sprinkled on the carpet to help pick up some of the dust. And then you'd sweep the tea leaves off. But the carpets were always dirty and dusty, always. And the vacuum cleaner made it possible to clean an entire home in like one day instead of it being a continuous process of always, always cleaning. So, Like the, the Flintstones with the little baby elephant. Yes, exactly. <laughs> now, as I've discussed earlier, I have one of those robot vacuum cleaners. And yes. uh, his name is Dummy. And he goes around the house three times a week. And I had an old one, you know, the carpet shampoo carpety thing. 
Mm-hmm. You know, but those things yes. don't last forever. So I just bought a new one, and the new ones work great as opposed to the ones that you've had for ten years. Right. Those things will never not disgust me <laughs> because it literally does not matter. Dummy goes through three times a week, and then I run the vacuum cleaner, and that water is just black like your soul. Oh my god! Yeah, and you don't you don't have any pets. No, I don't. You want to you want to you want to see the horror of horrors, the apocalypse now of cleaning? <laughs> Do that after you have a dog or a cat or both. Yeah. It's awful. Oh my god, yeah. You pour the water out like I pour the water out in the yard and the grass screams. It's terrible. <laughs> oh my god, it's awful. It's, it's disgusting. It's like the the domestic equivalent of garbage juice. Ugh. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's like hair and things and sand and dirt and uh i think that I, I think what i scream out more often than not is how how is it this right. dirty what am i walking in yeah, <laughs> yeah it's tough and uh, believe it or not a lot of the stuff that comes up though is can be is glue from inside the the carpet material and dust that just settles in into the carpet from the air so it's not it's not like you're tracking it in all the time it's you know it's gravity that does it to you Good, because i was thinking that i was living like this secret double life as a mud wrestler (laughs) (laughs) or when somebody when you're not home and you're at work there's somebody else who lives in your house yeah like the like the laszlo character from real genius (laughs) have you checked your basement lately to see if anybody's making sweepstakes entry cards and that guy is a mud wrestler yeah All right, so moving on to August the 31st, an entry after my own heart. Uh, The first cross-country road trip concludes. There was a Packard. It arrives in New York City after departing from San Francisco almost two months earlier. Yeah, it was the first automobile to go across the United States under its own power. So, like, it didn't have a horse with them or something like that. Right, 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 yeah. Yep. Wow, I July 10th to August 31st. That's a long-ass road trip. That is a long-ass road trip. And there are no, like, interstate highways. There's no interstate roads even, I think, by then. Oh, right. And there's probably almost no pavement anywhere. Yeah, and, like, I'm not sure if, like, the tube tire was available in 1903. Yeah, it's probably just solid rubber, which must have been bone-jarring Oh, my God, these to, people, to they must have had hemorrhoids like a pack of grapes by the end of the trip. <laughs> I wonder how, how long it took to go cross-country from San Francisco to New York via the rail railway. So that must have been just a couple of days, maybe three or four days, right, to cross-country on a steam train. Uh, yeah, I, don't, I, think it's a, I think it's like that now. I think it's a, it's a few days to go cross-country because they don't run 24 hours, you know. What I mean, though, is that like there's a route already. Yeah, yeah, there's okay. like an established time and a route that they can... And showing that you can go from San Francisco to New York, provided you have 58 days or something at your disposal, and some way to get gasoline in Death Valley and other unpopulated parts yeah, of I'm the gonna, country. Yeah, I'm going to guess they took a more, really difficult. a more northern route, you know, because San Francisco's pretty, pretty north and New York's pretty north, so I don't think they went right, into right. Death Valley, but... Like, I've done the cross-country road trip a number of times. My brother and I drove from, you know, we'll say Boston, all the way down to Alabama. And then we trekked a little bit west, and then we started heading north again. We went across Kansas, ended up in Las Vegas, California, then north to San Francisco, and then, you know, Mm -hmm. back home in a more straight line that way. We took that route that they did on a highway anyway. Right. I hope they had snacks. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and the the car they drove was a Packard, right. so it was. I mean, 1903. You're talking open carriage, steering wheel on the right side, because no one knows what side of the road the cars are supposed to be on, because no one cares, because they aren't they aren't even a thing. Right, right. This is before the Model T 
is out. Yeah, this, this some of these packages, you, you can see pictures of them. Some of them have like a roof, but it's not really a, it's not like you have a car that's all enclosed now. It's almost right. like the Flintstones car <laughs> with four <laughs> wheels. Is. Yeah, it is. Yes, and it's really funny to see like how the, the model was like the steering wheel is perpendicular is to the ground. So it's like yeah, it's like you're turning a big valve handle, you know, a valve, a valve dog. I'm surprised and, they don't um, have like two ropes on either side that you just like. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's arm powered steering. Yeah. But it's it's crazy to think that they were doing this. At least they did it in the summertime, like from the summer to the autumn. Not like only seven years later when a bunch of lunatics would go from New York City to Paris, going the other way from New York City, starting in February. Which, if anybody knows the United States of America, that's snow time. Oh, yeah. That's no time to be driving. So. <laughs> they leave New York City and then they get to Syracuse and like, well, trip's over. Right. <laughs> now, uh, uh, there's no roads and there's no way to plow and there's no way to dig out two feet of snow that's falling every four hours. Yeah. <laughs> so the first automobile across the U.S. under its own power is really interesting because I, I wonder how the logistics of it work. And it sort of set the stage for a couple of different things that happened aside from the New York to Paris road race. In, I think it was 1925, Harry Truman was part of a, an army survey team that went from either New York or Boston back out to California. And they mapped out what the condition of roads were like in advance of building the, what would become the interstate highway system after World War II. It was probably just one page and that says they all suck. <laughs> this, this is terrible, right? There's no way to get from Chicago to like whatever the next town is without a road. Yeah. And that's kind of what they did. And the Army Corps of Engineers helped map out ways to get people to move around and freight to move around off the rail lines. So kind of cool. Like automobiles are super interesting just in general. Yep. And to see like the really, really early days like this where going for a drive was an adventure. I don't know if I'll be back again, honey. <laughs> <laughs> I'm headed to New York City. Oh, no. Please come back. I'll be back in approximately five months, you know. Could you bring back some snacks? <laughs> exactly. All right. So moving on to August the 1st. What do we got? August the 1st, 1978. A groundbreaking horror film, Dawn of the Dead, written and directed by George Romero, mm. premieres in Torino, Italy, and then comes to the United States. It was in a film festival, and that comes here. Wow. And gets wide, wide release here. And because the 70s is the strangest decade ever for film you don't you don't have to qualify for film there's a lot of strange things in the 70s <laughs> between tuna fish and suspended within a gelatin bundit cake mold to yep. butterfly collars to strange folk music to unbelievably weird horror movies all right but anyway dawn yes. of the dead go on the film goes on to sort of help redefine the walking dead z- zombie genre bite your building tongue. you just said the bil- w word well, yeah, but I'm calling it Walking Dead because, like, I still think of zombies in the traditional, more traditional, like, voodoo. Okay. So, like, 1969, when Romero put out Night of the Living Dead, all the way up to that point in in film history, zombie movies have always been about, like, Haitian plantation owners and voodoo zombies. Yeah, and, reanimated and, dead, and, right, yeah. Right. All right, so uh, what, what I was getting at is the George A. Romero... Living Dead zombie movies, as opposed to the insanely popular, and I mean that doubly, like it's insane how popular it was, and it's insane why it was so popular, Walking Dead series. The Romero zombies are always an allegory for something else. It's like he's telling one story by telling another story. And in Dawn of the Dead, all of the zombies make their way towards a shopping mall 
because that's what they know. That's what they did in their living time. Right. And that's that place was important to them. That's a theory, at least from the characters. Right. Yeah. So that's the the underlying story of Dawn of the Dead was just abject blind consumerism. Buy, 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 purchase, purchase, purchase. Whereas, and even if you couldn't buy anything because dead people can't buy anything, you still amble around there, right? And to be among all these things that can be that could be purchased if you had money. Traditionally, dead people have a bad line of credit. Yeah, I'm sorry. This this card is a client. That's it. Then they bite you, and then your card's going to get declined. And then your credit score sucks. Sorry. <laughs> that's right. That's it. That's, you're doomed. Yep. The makeup effects in that movie were done by our good friend Tom Savini. That it really pushed an envelope as far as gore goes too. Oh yeah, that shoulder bite in the beginning is still one of the nastiest effects I've ever seen. Right. I still I still cringe when I see, it. and I've seen the movie like nine hundred million times, and I still turn I still turn away from that one. And then you know that like towards the end when the person just gets like completely ripped apart, like you know yeah. you know torso from legs just yeah yeah. There's a lot going on in that movie. It's definitely something else, and I I really enjoyed it, and I liked the sequel that he put out. The, the Day of the Dead, which was the zombies were sort of an allegory there for a weapon or militarism. And- right, for uh, the, you know, the necessity of soldiers being less individuals and more of a whole, right. yeah. Yep. And then, no, he had, he had a couple of other ones, like, after that, too. Like, like yep. in the last couple of years of his life, he put out one uh, Diary of the Dead, which is actually one of yeah. my Favorites. I thought that was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then the last one that he did, it was about the political divide between uh, liberalism and, and conservatism. And at the end of the movie, they just had two zombies that were chained up, almost like the dog in the Bugs Bunny cartoons, where the chain just keeps them just out of reach. They yeah. were chained up just out of reach of each other, just trying to attack because it's a never-ending fight. Yeah. What was the one with the, the high-rise building? Uh, the last of the big budget ones that he made. Oh, that was um, that was Land of the Dead. Yeah, Land of the Dead with John Leguizamo, right? Yeah, John Leguizamo so was in that, that. Yeah, yeah. Even that one's a little more heavy-handed than the ones that kind of came after. Right. Uh, but I think as he got older and he got he had less, I'm not going to say less Fs to give, but he had he didn't have to worry too much that his stuff was was or wasn't going to be released because he was putting it out on his own. Right. Um. He was able to sort of like double down sort of on those political messages and make them very, very like, here, (laughs) here's the class struggle one. So we've done the consumerism one. We've done the weaponry one. Here's the class struggle one. And then after that, it's the like Diary of the Dead is more like about trust. No, Diary of the Dead was more like about almost like Andy Warhol's 15 minutes because they were shooting like YouTube videos for likes. Right. And that one. Right, right. So, yeah, that one was basically about, you know, everybody trying to get internet famous. So, right. yeah, that was, like, I, that's why I really liked the Romero zombie movies, because there was that metaphor. And then it, it actually kind of ruins me for some other horror movies, because whenever, because I don't believe in anything supernatural. So right. whenever I see a horror movie, I'm like, what are they trying to say with this? And sometimes... They're not trying to say anything. They're just trying to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're just trying to bite people in the neck. <laughs> trying to jump scare you, and or sometimes like it becomes like the metaphors. It doesn't change. It just gets done over and over again. Yeah. So like if you watch the the Walking Dead show, right? Each season was sort of metaphorical, based on where they were at the time. It ends up getting to the point where it's like, oh, you know, you can spot how the whole season's going to work based on like maybe two characters or the location that they're in because. It's clearly a metaphor for a bigger structure, organization, or institution. The way I said it about Walking Dead was, 
it's not really horror. It's more of a character study. And all the characters are assholes. <laughs> I could never get past, and this is going to sound so silly. I could never get past the fact that there were no goddamn bicycles. <laughs> Why are they all walking? There must be millions of bicycles around. And you can just ride north and get out of Georgia in about, I don't know, two days on a bike. That was always my problem with like the Noah's Ark story. It's like, nobody else had a boat? <laughs> yeah, exactly. There must have been other people with boats, right? So what about them? Um, Nobody has a bicycle. I never thought right? of that. Yeah, there's a, like I used to joke that like I wanted to watch the prequel. I thought that the show, the, the prequel show, like Fear the Walking Dead, I think is what it's called, would be about the space aliens who came down and took all of Earth's bicycles away. Yeah. And the ability for us to remember how to make them. And that's why <laughs> the zombie apocalypse started. Too bad it wasn't in Italy and everybody going around on Vespas. Right, exactly. Ciao. Hey, ciao. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go on to September the 2nd. <laughs> this one starts out a little weird, a little dark, but hear me out. September the 2nd, 1993, a five-hour standoff between Maryland police and a man who had just killed his girlfriend is ended when a three-foot-tall remote-controlled robot enters the armed man's house and disables him with a water cannon. <laughs> Allowing the so, allowing the police to enter. So, so what you're saying is either this is the reenactment of the plot to the movie Runaway with Tom Selleck and, and Gene Simmons, or Tweaky from Buck Rogers in the 25th Century was pushed into service as a police officer. <laughs> yeah, this is kind of like like a really bad RoboCop sequel, I guess you could say. <laughs> like the straight to DVD, no budget RoboCop sequel. Right, right, right. Yes. Beady, beady, beady. <laughs> or like the robots in Chopping Mall. Remember that? Oh yeah, they were, about, they were about three feet to three feet tall. Yep. It is babe, isn't it? This guy yeah. must be so embarrassed. Imagine trying to be like a badass in prison, and everybody else is just like making fun of you because you got taken out by essentially a super soaker on, <laughs> on the attached to a Radio Shack remote controlled car. Yeah, yeah, yeah on, the, on the back of an RC Pro Am. Yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Did he go on to sue the robot for brutality? I I hope they have it on video. That'd be great if it like, I mean it's 1993, so they didn't have like the, you know, like the way body cams. Yeah, no body cam on the robot. Right. Um, like wherever I go to uh, my little spot on the beach, there's always guys playing around with their remote controlled trucks, and they actually have like little GoPros on them. That's the word I was looking for, yeah. GoPro, yeah. Uh, so they can see where the trucks are going, like in real time on their cell phones mm -hmm. and stuff. So, yeah, too bad in 1993, the guy that invented this was like, dude, we got to put a camera on this just to see the look on this guy's face. What the hell is, oh! <laughs> he must have lived on the first floor. Oh, yeah. As we know that, like, for, even from RoboCop, that robots can't seem to negotiate stairs well, yeah. especially, <laughs> I would think, in 1993. Right. It just, it says here, I said water cannon, but now it says here, just like with water blast. I'm wondering how much water there was because I mean it's a it's a remote control robot probably less than a gallon. I'm gonna yeah I'm gonna get it's not like it was dragging a hose behind it right, right. and it, or maybe they taped a note on the robot that said okay we've got you wet now the next robot we send in will have a revolver yeah the next robot's gonna have ghost peppers yeah <laughs> or just a little flag that comes up that says that was pee all right that's it I give I up. give up I give up stop sending your pee pee robot after me. <laughs> All right, next up. September 3rd, 2013. Mississippi Hunter set a state record by catching an alligator stretching 13 feet and weighing 727 pounds. That's Zeus. Uh, 
Yeah, yeah. It was caught in the Mississippi River. And as as weird as it sounds, this record only lasted a couple of days. Okay. Because, like, on September 10th, some other hunters caught one that weighed 740 pounds and was 13.7 feet long in the Mississippi River. So, apparently, the Mississippi River is hellaciously dangerous to be in. Hold on. i got to write myself a note. Uh, <laughs> Do not bathe in Mississippi River. No, 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 no. Uh, that is one... Well, I think I've established that I'm terrified of, like, every animal. But yeah. alligators, I do. If I if I go to Florida a lot, if I ever saw yeah. like an alligator in like one of my friends' backyards and stuff like that, I'd be like, "All right, cool. Never seeing you again ever in my lifetime." Yep. Yep. Move out of the Triassic. I'll be in New Hampshire. <laughs> <laughs> I like the videos that from Florida where it's like a 16 foot or 20 foot alligator walking across a golf course, and it's so big. Oh yeah. That the even the bystanders are like, uh. Is that a stegosaurus? It's ginormous. Where did that thing come Leave from? Leave it alone. Leave it alone. Yep. Don't yeah, they're just going from one place to another. They're not looking like, ah, humans killed. Mm, yum. Right, right, right. Like, oh, the 19th hole. I can get its happy hour. <laughs> right. You know. Two things. One, alligators always walk like they just got their toenails painted, which is hilarious. <laughs> and two, if they're walking like that, they're not hunting. Because if, if right. they're hunting, they're going to stay perfectly still. Their energy source is uh, is not made for longevity. Yeah, it's, they're cold-blooded. they got to lay in the sun to warm up. Yep. Yeah, and they're ambush hunters anyway. They like lay in the water and lunge out of the water and eat people. Right. Yeah. Dogs or whatever. Yeah, they, they uh, move fast like all at once, and then they have to rest. They're not long-distance cyclists. For, you know. No. Yeah, I'm really all set with alligators. No thanks. There's a market for alligator meat that's grown over the last few years because they, they're no longer really endangered, I guess. So... Oh, they're off the list. Bon appetit. <laughs> exactly. I think if 2019, 2020 taught us anything is let's just stick with meat, chicken, and pork. Okay, guys? Right. Exactly. Yeah. No need to get adventurous. I don't want to eat anything that, that has a cousin that might come after me. <laughs> if I've learned anything from horror movies, that's what happens. All right. Moving on to September the 4th, 1999. The first episode of WCW's Monday Nitro. Oh, that was Ted Turner's uh, wrestling organization, yep. right? Uh, that kicked off the Monday Night Wars. WWE, well, it was WWF at the time, and they had been the the standard in wrestling for a lot of years, on television anyway. Mm-hmm. Ted Turner had bought uh, a lot of the NWA uh, territories, and then he started his own organization, the WCW, World Championship Wrestling. Right. And... So a lot of the NWA wrestlers came on board, like you know Ric Flair and Sting were your standards. They had gotten a new like uh, president of operations, a man, a man by the name of Eric Bischoff, and Eric Bischoff had a goal, and that was to be the number one wrestling company. Uh, and okay, his idea was the only way to compete with the WWE was to compete with the WWE. So they put on a show called Monday Nitro, which sounded amazingly like Monday Night Raw. It was almost the same, you know, name. And it went on head to head. It went on at the same time. And for probably a little over 10 years, I I forget what year uh, they actually finally went out of business. But they went head to head for a very long time. And it was a great time to be a wrestling fan. Most of the people that you know when they say, oh, I used to watch wrestling back in the day, that's the era that they're talking about. Right. Because, you know, competition makes everybody work harder. Mm-hmm. WCW 
they brought it, you know, and Ted Turner had a whole lot of money. They started tempting people away from WWE over. Yeah, poaching them out, yeah, right? Yeah, over, um, over to WCW. And the most interesting part about all that, that was a game changer in wrestling, is at the time, nobody had contracts. If you worked for WWE and then you didn't want to work for WWE anymore, you just left. Yeah, it was at-will employment, right? right? So yeah. are there, are, it wasn't like temping, but they were like independent contractors, I they guess. They still are independent contractors, but they have guaranteed contracts now. But that all started with the Monday Night Wars with w, WCW Nitro, yeah. And if I remember right, like sometimes the not just the person jumped over, but sometimes they brought their character, the intellectual property with them because they were so tied up to you. Like Hulk Hogan is Hulk Hogan. Even though he came and he played a heel in WCW, right? He, uh, he, he was still, he's not like he came over and was like, my name is Golden Boy Smith. Right, well, you he, know, like, no, dude, you're Hulk Hogan. Yeah, um, like he, well, he was a face on W uh, on WCW Nitro WCW. for, you know, for some years. Yeah. But they didn't, the WCW crowd didn't want Hulkster. You know what I mean? They, they that was a Ric Flair crowd. And then and, and like the first episode of Nitro, like the one that we're talking about here, Lex Luger, like the previous week, was employed by WWE. And then he shows up on WCW Nitro. And there were people in the office at WWE that didn't realize that he didn't work for them anymore. They're like, what's he doing over there? <laughs> and uh, yeah, there was a lot of back and forth. Like I said, that it, it was a real, real good time to be a wrestling fan. There was... There was always a lot going on, but not everything lasts forever. <laughs> no, I guess not. I, I, I think the competition's a good thing. It, it definitely made, if as I remember it, again, I wasn't a, I'm never, I've never been a huge wrestling fan, but I did watch WCW Monday Nitro mm -hmm. um, for a couple of years when it was on because I was home and it was on and like it's Monday. Right. There's nothing on Mondays, right? right? So it's that. And, and if it was like a, a crappy match on WCW, I could flip over to to WWE and see what who's fighting right. there. Um, and it definitely made for some like better long term storytelling and more clearly defined character development for those personalities to kind of make them unique. Because now it's not just one group that can you know throw out the sort of heel face jobber type wrestling with a main event or two main events in an evening it's got everything's got to be amped up right and it was it was really really entertaining yeah so. up until then there was like one big storyline like in wwe there was like one or two big storylines going on and then there was all like filler matches monday night raw now it's like everything at that point everything had to be a main event right and it was all in service to the pay-per-views that came out approximately every 62.5 hours yeah. but but yeah but that's definitely different it wasn't like before wcw where for the first hour of the week's wrestling show it was like in this corner from parts unknown it's john w nobody versus this guy and that was like all right well i guess i can go get a soda john q like, nobody <laughs> from uh, memphis tennessee all right but wrestling is well, well we'll just say it's much different these days all right but let's move on to september the 5th september the 5th 1976 jim henson's the muppet show premieres on television the first guest of the show is mia farrow which really i can tell you how far yeah how far back this was and the muppet show was interesting in that it was it grew out of the children's television workshop stuff that jim henson did with sesame street to become a much more commercial program mm -hmm. Uh, and it was actually commercial television that had put it on. I'm not sure if it was NBC or CBS that paid for the production of oh, it. Oh, I'm not sure. I want to say CBS. 
I want to say it was CBS too. What was interesting was that it was done in a variety show format, and as we know, for the weird-ass 1970s, variety shows were the thing. Right. It was done every single week with a different guest star, with a specific set of like guest skits and or musical numbers, and then some character interaction and other standard pieces of the show that went almost every week. So, like, I don't know if you remember structure of the program, but there was always like an episode of Pigs in Space which didn't feature the guest star, or there was always an episode of Veterinarian's Hospital, which didn't feature the guest star, right, but I, had a certain set of puppets. I think, yeah, Pigs in Space came later. It replaced Veterinarian's Hospital. Either way, yep. th- those were those were constants in the show. They, I think they could all be filmed like 20 episodes of Veterinarian's Hospital in one day, and then they can build them out so that when yeah, they have they John Denver come, he can do his two songs and his conversation with Kermit the Frog at the beginning, and then the big thing at the end. And then, boop, they can build the shows going on from there. Sew them all together, um, right, yeah. Know what I really liked? I used to like the ballroom dancing, where the the, the Muppets would be in like this ballroom dancing yes. uh, scene, and then the camera would pan to certain couples, and they would they would just trade like jokes back and forth together, yeah. Yep. And there was always the, the guy that would say, dip, and dip yep. his date. <laughs> yeah. And I always thought what was really funny was like, if you go back and watch the show, I have a bunch of them on DVD and, and hilariously enough on VHS. Yep. Because uh, I joined some club that was sending them to us when my son was literally a, still an infant. Sure. If you go back and watch them, like, they, there's a lot of adult humor in these episodes mm-hmm. that the kids never would have figured out. But normally that kind of stuff get causes like network censors to complain. So they used to do this thing. They had like a, they had their own censor on the show. Do you remember that? Is is Sam the American Eagle puppet. Yes. You're all weirdos. <laughs> yes, you're all weirdos. This is terrible. We can't show this. And then, and he'd always bring up Wayne and Wanda, which was like. I was just about to ask if you remembered Wayne and Wanda. Wayne and Wanda, the stereotypical couple who would just dance and, and inevitably like the set would crash in around them. But yeah, there was supposed to be like a high cultured thing. Yes. And, uh, uh, and that's why uh, Sam yes. liked them. You're supposed to like culture. And then, yes. yeah, they were like completely accident prone. It's like, when I'm calling you. <laughs> <laughs> and then the tree would fall over. Yeah, fall yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so anyway, super fun. Super fun show. And it became a showcase for, like, really, really famous people to be on. So Diana Ross was on that show. Yeah. And Mark Hamill and the characters from Star Wars were on that show in 1977. Yeah, it went from this, like, just kind of, like, niche thing to, like, celebrities just pushing each other out of their way to get on the show. I remember, like, Vincent Price being on it. Yep. And, ah, oh, it was amazing. Amazing to think that they had that much star power. I think one of my favorites is whenever Rita Moreno was on there doing Fever, you know, singing the song Fever, and whenever Animal would do the like the little drum fills, she would like jump because it scared her. Yeah, yeah. And then she goes over and starts yelling at him in Spanish. (laughs) Yep. All right, so let's get on to the celebrity birthdays. August the 30th. 1797, ooh, uh, a youngin. But she was a youngin whenever she got herself famous. Miss Mary Shelley, who is the author of Frankenstein or the modern Prometheus. Daughter of a famous writer herself, Mary Wollstonecraft, and married to Percy Bysey Shelley, the poet, for a while. She wrote Frankenstein 1815 or 1812 or something like that. Yeah, she was real young. She was like only 19 years old when she wrote it, yeah. It was part of like a, a contest or something. Well, yeah, very briefly, there was a... There was a volcano that erupted, and that made the world sort of not have a summer. It was the year without a summer, and she was on vacation in Switzerland with Lord Byron, her husband, Percy Shelley, a guy named Dr. Polidori. They passed the time they decided they'd write ghost stories and then read the ghost stories to each other at night, and it was during that time, that summer, that she wrote Frankenstein. 
Yeah, very cool. All right. Very cool. Nope, sorry. Moving on to the 31st. The 31st, a German-American gymnast named George Iser okay. is born. Now, you may not know who he is, but he's a was an American gymnast who went on to compete in the Olympics uh, in 1904 in the Summer Olympics, and he won three gold medals in parallel bars, long horse vault, and 25-foot rope climb. Oh. He won two silver medals for pommel horse and the event all around. Okay. And one bronze for the horizontal bar. Well, I mean, he's like in his 30s at that point. That's pretty impressive. Usually, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. It, it is. He's also sans one leg. He's what? One of his legs was run over by a train and de-legged uh, when he was a child. You notice that none of his medals are in anything that's related to running. It's all things that are super upper body. So pommel horse and right, right, right. rope climbs and things. So that he's able to compete uh, with one leg. I don't know that they made him keep his wooden leg on. When he did this, but they might have. But he he definitely has like a weight advantage over some of the other athletes because he's he's he doesn't have a leg to stand on. I'm about to say you notice none of his medals are in boxing either because you're not going to have a one legged man at an ass kicking contest. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, That's pretty awesome though. So George Geyser, yes. And all right, uh, moving on. September the first, nineteen thirty nine. American comedian Lily Tomlin. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to say she got her very first start, but I re- like I think my earliest memories of her were going to be on Laugh-In. Yeah, that's where I remember her from. I think that's where she jumped into the public eye was on that show. Yep. And then uh, later on, she moved on. She was doing work with Electric Company. Remember that? Yep. And that's and the truth. And she, she used to have a one-woman show, like yes. a one-woman play that she would go and do characters from. And, Absolutely, yep. And then ended up in films, started making movies. Yep, so. she was uh, in The Incredible Shrinking Woman. That was like her big lead role production. She was in All of Me with Steve yep. Martin. Steve Martin. Yep, and the most re- recent thing I can remember her being in was Into the Spider-Verse. She, she did the voice for Aunt May. So she's still active today. Yep, very, very funny woman. All right, next up. September 2nd, 1951. Mark Harmon never really made the big transition to film but was a stalwart tv actor in the 1980s and 1990s like nc he's like did the cop shows like ncis yes most recently yeah he's like in a billion a billion episodes of that right yeah a billion i remember him most from being in the tv adaptation of i think it was the only living witness where he played ted bundy i've never seen that but my ex-girlfriend used to talk about it and she said he was absolutely amazing as ted bundy um, yeah, he was very good. Kind of got to start on a TV show called St. Elsewhere. I thought the world was at his feet because summer school, he played Mr. Shoop, and he was fantastically funny in that. So he's got these great all-around acting chops, but like the huge like star on Hollywood Boulevard just wasn't in the cards for him. He's a great actor, and I'm not playing him down. It's just I thought it, I thought it would be a, a different career path for him but maybe he didn't want it yeah, who knows? yeah i don't know who knows yeah. but anyway september 2nd 1951 mark Harmon. yeah i like that guy you know who else i like uh september the 3rd 1965 mr cuckoo bananas himself charlie sheen he's winning yeah he's winning and he's got tiger blood and i don't know man i don't think you could possibly say anything about that guy that's controversial that he hasn't already done Loud. Right. He was a, he was an advocate at one time for the 9/11 Truth Movement, so to speak. Uh, right. You know, prior to that, he was in he was doing great. He was in Platoon. He was in that movie Wall Street. He was on the TV right. show yeah. Spin City, Two and a Half Men, and then a lot of drugs and hookers. Later, that guy was what? who he is now. Yeah. I think it was Two and a Half Men that he started to really sort of shift over because he was definitely doing the prestige parts. Right for a while and was was he did really well after platoon especially 
So I don't know. I guess that's that's what happens when you, you're doing a job that I, I don't know that he liked being on Two and a Half Men all that yeah. much. He certainly didn't act like he did. <laughs> and the guy's got but, a pedigree. I mean, his brother is Emilio Estevez and his father was Martin Sheen. Drugs are a hell of a drug. He was also in Hot Shots, which yes. shows that he could like, he can really, re- he used to be, well, when he was at his prime, I guess, he could run the gamut between really ridiculous, silly comedy and stuff that was like real drama. Wall Street is real drama. Yeah, yeah. And so is Splatoon. All right, next up, September 4th. September 4th, 1957, Patricia Tallman, who you may not know, um, but she's a stunt woman and actress who probably best known outside of like the Star Trek and Babylon 5 community as Barbara in the remake of Night of the Living Dead from 1990. Oh, her, the from the Tom Savini Night yep. of the Living Dead. They're coming to get you, Bob. They're coming to get somebody else, Barbara. <laughs> but she also played a whole bunch of parts and did stunt work in in uh various incarnations of star trek in the 1990s and 80s and was a main character on babylon 5 for like three seasons i am still like confused to this day because somebody told me that babylon 5 is not a star trek series nope it's not that blew my mind i always thought it was yep well well, you talk about that another yeah that's uh yeah it's a topic for another time uh, and wrapping up the birthdays, born September 5th, 1846, a man by the name of Jasper Newton Daniel, and everybody knows him as the creator of Jack Daniel's Old Time Sippin' Whiskey. Oh. Yep. I'm not a whiskey drinker. I'm not I'm not a drinker in general, and if I did, it wouldn't be whiskey. But I'll tell you, I love Jack Daniel's like sauces, like the barbecue sauces that are flavored with uh, Jack Daniel's. Those are fantastic. I, uh, I'm not a big whiskey guy either, but I always remember that. That was like the Lemmy drink. Yes. It was Jack Daniels and Coke, and he would drink it by the... And Michael Anthony from Van Halen, too. As a matter of fact, he had a bass guitar that looked like a, a bottle of Jack Daniels. Yeah, with the logo on it. I remember seeing him when I saw Van Halen. There's a part where he plays using the Jack Daniels bottle like a slide on his bass. Uh-huh. And he's going like... They kind of sucked live. Um, <laughs> but... Yeah, Michael Anthony and Van Halen, somewhere, somewhere along the lines, we'll be seeing them, I'm sure, in a segment we like to call... The Worst Song Ever. But we don't have Van Halen this week, Mr. McLarge Huge. Who do we have? (laughs) Well, this week we've got a vocal group. Do you remember what a vocal group is, Bill? Yes. A vocal group is a bunch of guys who don't play any instruments, but they harmonize together and... And have sometimes personalities that make the band what the band is. And I'm saying band loosely. Uh, we're talking about New Kids on the Block. Okay. and they're... You're saying vocal group. I think we it's more colloquially known as boy bands. Boy bands, yeah. yes. Who, uh, with their saccharine, diabetes-causing song, I'll Be Loving You Forever. Which is exactly the song that a 13-year-old girl who's about to go into puberty needs to hear from. A 13-year-old boy who's just about to go into puberty. A 13-year-old boy. New Kids on the Block are definitely not the first of the boy bands. And I can't remember. I thought this song was sung by Joey Fatone until... What did you you tell me? No, it's Joey McIntyre. Yeah. Joey McIntyre. Oh, wait. Hold on. We're both wrong. It wasn't Joey McIntyre. It was Jordan Knight that sings this one. These guys are all interchangeable to me because I'm not the target audience for them at right. all. Joey Fatone's not even in this band. He's in another boy yeah. band called Insane. Right. It's all this meat grinder of a you know boy band mass production company. I mean, the new kids under the block were from Boston, or at least most of them were. And Sync was out of Orlando, Florida. So was the Backstreet Boys. It's just this 
mass marketing thing. But before we get into this big discussion about boy bands in general, let's just play the clip from this ballad. Yeah, it's definitely it's a ballad. It's bad. Such emotion, such feeling. It's just it hits you right in the heartstrings. Yeah, yeah. So or, or the or the pancreas, depending on, yeah. on, on, which, on, on, on what you're what you're listening to it on. It's bad, and it's like it, this is representative of the entire sort of genre of this style of music. It's dancey yeah. or super sort of overly sweet, but non-threatening. Just super duper overproduced, specifically to sell records, and then to go and have tours where they dance around to recorded music. I don't say they don't sing. I think they do. But that's the choreography and the stage presence. That's the thing. It's a show. Right. And at the time that New Kids on the Block were popular, there was NSYNC, as we mentioned. There were a bunch of... um, Well, NSYNC came later. NSYNC was more in the 90s. New Kids on the Block were like late 80s, like 88. Right. You know, because they weren't musicians, they were a, a boy band. And, like, at that time, that was, like, the death throes of the heavy metal. Well, actually, 88 was probably, like, the the peak the, yeah. the peak of the heavy metal uh, bands and stuff like that. They were actually getting a lot of flack and criticism for not being, you know, musicians like everybody else that was popular at the time. So they actually started taking lessons. I remember seeing, like, an article in, like, some, you know, magazine or whatever. And they're like, oh, you know, Donnie's getting pretty good at the drums. It's like... I don't think you realize how many years it takes just to get bad at something, you know? You're not just going to, like, oh, I'm going to be a drummer now. You know, this isn't the monkeys, guys, you know? Well, I I think that – it's funny that you bring them up. I was going to say, like, this – the DNA for for this band and and the others that are like them goes all the way back to the monkeys and and probably before that, too, but really becomes popular because of the monkeys. And, again, they're manufactured with a couple of musicians and a couple of not musicians and – right. And there's a bunch of production in the back that makes it all work. And in the case of the monkeys, like you were saying, you know, Mickey Dolenz learns to play the drums and can play the drums when they go and play out. Does he play for the whole show? He does not, but he plays enough. Right. And then as time goes on, he plays enough to play on the records and he plays on the records. So so that's something that, that you can do. I don't think that that New Kids on the Block ever stopped touring when they were popular. Like they went from making a record to the road and stayed on the road until they made another record. Right. And I don't think they had time to, to sort of learn that stuff the same way that like, maybe that the monkeys had time. Yo, yeah, because, I mean, the the model for them or model for boy bands is you go until you they don't want you anymore. Because if you take a couple of years off, the next boy band's going to just swoop in and just destroy you. Yes. You know, boy bands, they're not really so much a thing anymore. Well, they, they haven't really gone anywhere. They're still they're still popular. They've just been they've kind of been outsourced to like a low wage country. So so if you listen to like the <laughs> Grammy, Grammy winners like BTS, they're a Korean boy band. Right. There is a ton of K-pop artists that are boy and girl bands that are really popular in popular music in the United States right now. Uh-huh. And there's a whole industry in how they're sort of formed and trained and auditioned and like managed that is very very 
It makes Maurice Starr's management of, of New Kids on the Block look like a guy that knows a band. Okay. It's super duper managed and like with schools and and like mass auditions and all kinds of crazy stuff that goes into it. And the music is the same. It's sort of that sort of syrupy love songs, ballads, or it's danceable dance pop with not too much not too much to it as far as like lyrical content or subtext or anything. Right. Yeah, I don't I don't think some some teenager is going to find themselves in this music. It's more just to, right. to listen to it. It's a popsicle. It isn't a steak dinner, right? Right. New Kids on the Block, I'll Be Loving You Forever. Uh, a song that is not is so forgettable, I forgot this song existed. Yep. Forever came early this year. Forever came early, yes. <laughs> I'll Be Loving You Forever. Hey, you know what else came early this year? The answer to my trivia question. Oh, that's right. So how many bones does a shark have, right? No, that's the that was question last week. Oh, last week. man. So... Uh, my question was, you have a white wall and you have all the paints that we'll say represent, just for simplicity, represent the eight main colors of Crayola crayons. So okay. you have eight paints on a white wall. Your colors are red, yellow, blue, green, orange, brown, purple, and black. Y'all paint them, you paint them all at the same time. Which color dries first? Black. Ding, ding, ding. Two weeks in a row, Jeff. Holy yeah, cow. That. Black yeah. because it, it's going to absorb heat uh, or absorb light faster than the other colors are. Right. And that is going to uh, speed up the drying process. Okay. All right. But that is going to wrap up the show for this week. Uh, we will see you back here in, uh, we'll, we'll call it seven days. All right. All right. Seven days it is. Say goodbye, Jeff. Oh, sorry. Say goodbye, Jeff. Sorry. Say goodnight, Jeff. Goodnight, Jeff. Bye, guys. Bye, everybody. Hey, thanks for listening to Twibbly, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Special thanks to James Coster for our theme music. You can find us and message us on Instagram and Facebook using T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. Make sure you spread the word and tell all your friends about the Twibbly podcast. Dan Quayle never listened to Twibbly, and look what happened to him. <laughs>